Let's do it. All right, back again. And thrilled to be here. Took a little break there with the Patriots on the bye week. We want to talk about it. Y'all didn't want to hear about the Jets. That was sort of a business day. Get it done. Get it over with. We did not uh, feel the need to go for a deep breakdown on that. Let them sort things out over the bye week. I wanted to let this sort of who the Patriots would be playing thing flesh itself out. So I didn't spend a bunch of time researching, you know, chasing ghosts, you know, doing Texans stuff or even potentially the Ravens and talking about a mobile quarterback and all that stuff. Those things become quickly irrelevant. So I didn't waste your time, didn't waste my own time. Uh, but now we know who the, who the, who the opponent is. It's the, it's the not San Diego, but it's still San Diego in my mind. Chargers, LA comes to town. They have to make that difficult cross country trip back to back one o'clock, um, you know, a little bit was made about that yesterday in the broadcast, and Rivers even addressed it uh, in, the, in his post-game commentary, saying, hey, man, we've done that several times. No big deal to us. No sweat off our back. Uh, they've also won. Uh, the broadcast made a point of this as well, that they won in uh, in London this year. So they've made some hellacious trips already. Um, I, I'm not so willing, though, just to dismiss, dismiss it out of hand as being a complete non-factor in this game. I don't think that would be accurate either. Uh, it's not so much that you've done that before. Uh, I think the fact that they have to actually do back to back one o'clocks and 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 you know West Coast East Coast travel, that's probably more more of, a, of an issue just than the simple fact that they've done it before. Um, I'm not looking down their schedule here and looking, uh, you know, if they've done that, uh, and, and even if they had, that's not really the point. It's just at some point it does start to wear on you a little bit. You can get a little bit tired, and there can be some mental fatigue. Uh, so it's not nothing, <laughs> but that doesn't mean it's the most important thing here going on. It's not, but it certainly isn't easy. Uh, and, and I think one of the other things to throw in here as well is they got a pretty good, they got a pretty, uh, uh, a nice little, uh, a pre- I don't know what the word is. Well, I'm searching for the word here on an early morning up. Basically they got off easy going to Baltimore in a day where the, the, the temperatures were pretty uh, mild. Uh, there was wind, uh, and that's a factor that may not be as much of a thing in Foxborough. Uh, you know, a week from now, again, I'm doing this show on a Monday morning. Um, yeah, weather reports are, are bound to change, but right now we're seeing sort of a high 20s kind of situation. Snow is a possibility, and I would just say this is a cauldron kind of situation. Uh, and this is this is not what today's show is about by and large, but just to simply set the table. There are a lot of factors working against uh, San Diego LA uh, here in this game, and none are sort of the tipping point necessarily, but I think in aggregate it's important to at least mention them. These things are working against them. Uh, you know, they don't get a practice in snow, uh, and in the event that you get a little bit of precipitation, uh, it's not just rain on the day where it's 50, that's something that you you know you have to adjust to on the fly. Uh, they've played in some cold weathers and weather games, and when I say cold, it's just you know the sub 40 stuff. We start getting down to the low twenties. They haven't they haven't dealt with that yet this year. Uh, and when it, it just sucks when you have to go deal with the temperature swing as dramatic as what they'll be dealing practicing in the seventies and eighties, going and playing in potentially twenty and snow. Uh, and even if the snow doesn't fall dramatically, you know, just from ball handling, you know, the quarterback's handling of the ball, the receivers catching the ball. Uh, it's not as if they haven't felt something a little bit cold, but. You get that extra 15, 20 degrees and a little precipitation that goes with it on top of the travel left or right twice in a row. Uh, and then waking up for what on your body clock is, is awful early. Yeah, again, in a pile, it ain't helpful. Uh, but who knows if that's the difference. But it's something they'll have to deal with. And the Patriots for winning their division, that's really the prize they get sitting and waiting this thing out and not having to do it back the other direction. So anyhow, let's dive into sort of what we're going to do on this particular show. And I wanted to take this a couple different ways. Uh, I really could have just knocked this out Sunday night after watching the game. I went to Nesson and knocked out my, my TV segments with Wiggy. Uh, and after that, I came back. I had already seen the, the Chargers game live. I uh, did a little more review and thought, you know what, I could, I could almost knock the pot out now. But I, I decided against it, and I wanted to wake up this morning and go back and find a, a game or two uh, that I needed to rewatch that would give you a little more information than just a reaction to the Baltimore game. And I think that's very important. Uh, you know, you don't want to, you never want to overreact to wildcard performances, anyhow. And especially uh, with this Baltimore thing being so dissimilar to probably anything else you'll see, because the defensive packages are using against uh, against the Ravens are just 
have zero point zero to what to do with what they'll do against the Patriots. Uh, a lot of people were making a big deal this next morning about how many defensive backs they had on the field seven at, at many times uh, against the Ravens, and that is one hundred percent about taking on a mobile quarterback and the run threat and all those kinds of things and the the perpetual read option element, um, even the RPOs, which isn't a big part of what they do, but just the idea of the quarterback might run and he's super agile and let's get all the agile guys on the field. That was that. That has nothing to do with the Patriots game. So from the off, from the, from what you'll see defensively, you almost don't even need to watch the Ravens game. It's just got nothing to do with nothing uh, relevant uh, rel- relative to the uh, the divisional coming up. So you got to go back and check out a few other games. Um, I thought the Steelers one is kind of helpful. I, I thought I watched a little of the Chiefs game, and again, I get that the Chiefs. Uh, offense is going to be a little bit different, but at least they're very multiple. They've got a catch and run gun like Tyreek Hill. They've got uh, a tight end that I know gets more targets now, but at least they have a tight end who's, who's a part of it. And then they have, uh, uh, you know, they have a running game that's pretty consistent there as well. It's not a perfect one. Um, you know, you can look at the Bengals, which is kind of a different one. I, I didn't watch the whole game, but just wanted to check in on a few fronts and stuff that that would show up. Uh, you have more under center stuff there. You have a back mixing that's a big part of what they do. Obviously, Dalton's gone by that time when they had played. Um, there's really not going to be a perfect one, and that's kind of one of the biggest things I learned from going back and going back and looking through the Chargers schedule and sort of picking at it a little bit and trying to find. Anything that might be sort of relevant. Um, and then I think the very best piece of information that uh, uh, that was worth my time in watching back was just last year's game. And so going back and watching the Patriots-Chargers uh, uh, game from a year ago, 21, 14, 13, something like that, uh, relatively close game there. Uh, and, and looking at two things, uh, well, really both sides of the ball, looking basically how the Patriots accounted for Rivers, um, the way they attacked him and approached him, and then vice versa, the way that the, you know, the, the, the way that the Chargers approached Brady. And one of the big things that has changed since a year ago, beyond just personnel, and there was actually a lot of different personnel stuff from last year's game than would be this particular game, uh, is is really well, let's put it this way the patriots and if you hopefully are reading my athletic column if you're listening uh listen to this podcast and follow me on social media and all of that i wrote about this pretty heavily uh last week on the athletic i wanted to do sort of a hey what's going on with this brady under center thing there's been a three-year trend uh i think it was i hope i don't uh, blow the numbers here 46 percent, 49 percent, and then now 54 percent of the time brady is under center uh, from 16 17 to now 18 so it's increasing they're under center you get more the hard sell play action that's real, not just gun play action on draws. And uh, all of a sudden, they look a lot more like a traditional offense. Better balance overall, more of the hard sell stuff where you you show things that look really a lot like run. You put a tight end in location, you have two backs in the backfield. Sometimes it's a fullback, sometimes it's not, sometimes it's a second tight end. But a lot of these sort of coral formations that look like, hey, it might be run. And uh, I think that part of them is much bigger than it was a year ago, even with Deion Lewis there and still running the ball some. Uh, I think the offensive line has taken another step forward as sort of a cohesive unit. You've got Marcus Cannon for the duration, essentially a right tackle now, which I don't believe was the case in that game. It obviously wasn't the case throughout a season ago. You have Trent Brown at left now instead of Nate Solder. Maybe a wash there, although if you're wanting to run and move bodies, Trent's, Trent's going to be bigger than that. He's just heavier than all the other left tackles in football. Uh, so there's a little bit of a difference there that I think might uh, entice the Patriots to go to a little bit different offensive approach than they did in that game. Uh, but from the Chargers side of it, the way they attack the Patriots and the way they go after the pocket should be very similar. I don't see some dramatic change in how that would be, even in the event that, you know, like Edelman wasn't on the team a year ago. He's on IR now. He's out there running around in the, the top target. Gronk's not as big a part as a passing game. The backs are still huge as they were a year ago. Both Burkhead and White had big games in that game. So there's going to be some similarities, but I think there's enough change, or, but not so, yeah, enough so that San Diego shouldn't be changing much. You know, it's not as if they're going to come out with a dramatically different scheme or certainly not going to do that multi DB thing. So now let's kind of get into what's been going on particularly. So I'll sort of map out this show for you guys here real, real briefly. I want to go through yesterday's game and not break it down necessarily, but just hit on top elements, things to consider, things to be aware of. Uh, and part, this is a show where I'm trying to give you guys a little insight about how 
we would be studying it, you know, if I were still in that, on that locker room or still in the, in the meeting rooms, how we would be looking back at the other team, what some of the conversations might be. And a lot of it tends to be, hey, here's the top couple things you got to take away from this particular player. Here's the top couple things this particular guy does. Um, and and kind of going from there. Um, and then, you know, from there, we did, we did yesterday's game to pick out some themes. We'll go into last season's game and sort of just hit on the high notes from that one the things to recall, and what they'll probably be looking back at each other uh, from that particular contest. And then I want to finish up with just sort of a brief synopsis of where I see the Patriots roster heading into the game. And I think that's really important because the last couple weeks, few weeks, has been really good for them to start to put together the best combinations, put their best foot forward, and we're going to have to talk a little bit about the injury situation with the Pats going into this game. So there's your map, and let's uh, let's dive into the first element, uh, and that's just uh, yesterday's game and sort of the top things to kind of know about this team as you get a little more familiar with the team that you don't see a lot. You saw them once a year ago, but if you haven't been keeping up on the Chargers and who they are, and you know Philip Rivers and Melvin Gordon, and that's kind of it, that's pretty typical. So let's sort of canvas who these guys are. Now, a year ago, Travis Benjamin had a pretty big role in the game. Um, he's still... He's kind of the different – he's a wide receiver here for the Chargers, obviously. And, and Benjamin is kind of the different guy on their roster, I would say, uh, to the other wide receivers. Benjamin is a – I believe he's he's a little bit shorter, like a 5'10 guy. Yeah, 5'10. They listen to 5'9. Another one here says 5'10. But Benjamin is like your uh, – your kick returner, we used to call these guys gadget guys. That doesn't mean they're not a, a true wide receiver. They are, but they're going to be involved in the reverses, the swing passes, the screens. The, he's the gadget. Gadgets are going to go to Travis Benjamin. And that's important. I, I think it makes for a nice contrast because you look across the ball and the Patriots need or really heavily rely on one of those kind of personalities himself. And that's in Corderell Patterson. And then obviously when Patterson was nicked up, uh, Dorsett got that job uh, a week ago. So they really have two guys that would register the the Chargers the same way to the Patriots. Benjamin should look to them. So Benjamin is the guy that when he's in the game, especially when he's got pre-snap movement, uh, he can get a a swing pass where he's sort of motioning as if it's going to be reversed. They fake. They throw it out on the wide to him. They like to isolate him and get him in space. So he's that guy, and the reason I started with him, and he's certainly not their top wide receiver, but I start with him because he's the contrast guy. The rest of them are actually very similar to one another. And uh, you can go through the list here. Keenan Allen, he's obviously the far out and away guy as far as straight production. He's the guy that uh, you know that Rivers would love to go to. He's the guy that, and I, I always caution myself or remind myself not to, to overplay this point because the Patriots are going to play a lot of different coverages. They'll be in a lot of different stuff. It'll be zoned. It'll be man. It'll be combination coverages. It'll be, you know, one side can potentially be zoned and the backside be man. They lock certain things in, in certain zone coverages. It's way too complicated for a podcast, even some of my video review, because, you know, you have to show almost every play. But by and large, don't be surprised if Stephon Gilmore ends up on or near, let's put it that way, Keenan Allen quite a bit. I think they have a far and away productivity guy where if maybe it's a, a zone call and he's locking, or maybe it's a man call and he's just tracking. But I got a sense that this is different than some other weeks where maybe you have a little more symmetry uh, as far as one and two not being so far from one another. Keenan Allen is far out in front. Now, Keenan Allen, if, if you guys uh, follow him from fantasy football, uh, more you just know about his sort of history in the league, he is very talented. He's 6'2", uh, so he's a little bit taller, a little bit on the long side. Um, but he gets nicked up a lot, and, and sort of his health uh, from down to down or series to series or week to week is always kind of a thing that's in the back of uh, a lot of people to watch this guy's mind. Now, he's super talented. He's a very good player, and I think that's in part why I'm you know, presuming Gilmore with some role on or around him. Uh, but, you know, he's the guy. And when I was talking about contrast earlier between Benjamin and this guy, this is the longer, taller guy, but he's not like the behemoth of the group because that's really the makeup of these Williams brothers, Tyrell Williams and then Mike Williams. Both of the Williams are 6'4 guys. So as far as straight, you know, looking at a crew, looking at a group, and what do they look like collectively, this is a tall, big, wide receiver group with one small dude who's sort of the the, the catch-and-run uh, returner dude, and that was Benjamin we mentioned before. So three dudes that are big, uh, and the Patriots secondary group that 
isn't really. Gilmore is your bigger, taller guy, uh, but you're going to, invariably, you're going to end up here with either Jason McCourty or J.C. Jackson playing against a 6'4 wide receiver. It's pretty much unavoidable. Uh, you know, they're going to be playing against a taller, longer guy. J.C. has got great corner makeup. He's not like a little dude, uh, and he's. I think he'd be comfortable on Mike Williams or Tyrell and, and you know, even Keenan. I mean, it's not as if Keenan Allen couldn't, you know, as if Jackson couldn't log reps against him and, and hang in there and actually play really well. He's proven that over the last several weeks. But it is a little bit different matchup this week because even if, you know, if, if Devin McCourty ends up down in the box with a third receiver, uh, there are going to be a lot of tall, long bodies on the field. Obviously, Rivers himself is tall and long. Antonio Gates is still out there. Hunter Henry is sort of a, is he going to play? Is he not going to play? For people out there following the story, he's you know have, have known throughout the season that guy's been gone. Uh, but they brought him back, kept him up, uh, and he practiced all last week. And it was sort of an up-until-game-day kind of story whether or not Hunter Henry was going to play. And Hunter was the the big-time new young tight end guy that kind of helped push Gates out the door. But then when Henry got hurt, Gates was signed back, and Gates has had sort of that sneaky, savvy, veteran kind of role on the team. When Rivers needs an outlet, that guy can still get open because he's just slick as hell. But he looks a little heavier on tape, and I'm not you know, doing a guy's body weight here kind of thing, but he looks thicker. You know, This is not the... The the you know the basketball player from ten fifteen years ago we all get bigger and Gates looks a little a little thicker but you know when you're in a, in a complimentary role you end up blocking a lot more and I actually really respect that out of Gates he's one of the the great passing pass catching tight ends out there but is also willing to mix it up and he's pretty competent as a blocker so that's kind of the other element to their offense um, now as we go through sort of the crew understand that where where the where the Chargers sit in the NFL is that they're 26-8 a game, so 26.8 points per game. So they're good. Uh, this is a, a top-10 kind of offense, but it's not the Chiefs. It's not the Rams. This is not a worry about them putting up 35 kind of thing. Uh, they're going to sit in that high, mid to high 20s range in most games. The last month, there's been more of the low 20s than high. Uh, and that's just kind of where they sit. Now, bringing them here to cold weather, uh, I don't see, unless the Patriots are just blowing coverages, them being a 30-point team, even though you know the name of the quarterback and, and all that kind of stuff, I don't really think that's who they've been against other teams, good, bad, or otherwise with the defenses. They they kind of sit in that area of the 20s, unless there's some massive breakdown. Uh, they got near the 30 number against the Chiefs, and we know the Chiefs have, have struggled with their defense throughout the year. But this is going to be an offense that's going to score on three possessions and get a couple field goals. Or, or you know something in that range, uh, and if you can hold them below that, you give them, get them in a low twenties numbers, even a high teens number, you could probably won the game. Um, so just kind of keep them in sort of that frame of mind as you go into the week. Good players, a lot of skill over on that side of the ball. And again, here we obviously didn't even get into Melvin Gordon and Eckler, Austin Eckler. We'll we'll talk about the back group here a little bit later, but. I want to kind of just fly through the stuff that hit on big in the game. And unfortunately, this isn't going to be sequ- sequential necessarily all offense, then all defense. It's going to kind of bounce around because, yeah, I was just following the game as it went. But uh, Melvin Ingram, obviously uh, one of the number 54, really good rusher, really good line. I don't know if they call him linebacker, outside linebacker, DN type uh, for, for the uh, Chargers. And he had a nice game against the Patriots a year ago. We'll get into that game later. But his get-off is really, really good, and, and that jumped out to me watching the Ravens game, knowing that he was getting that kind of jump on the snap count and he was on the road. Reminded me a little bit of Von Miller. Von's a guy who he gets road and home counts quite a bit, and even better on the home, at home. It's just ridiculous the way he's able to time that out there in Denver. But Ingram is really good at that, and, and I think it was interesting to see that happen, like I said, on the road. You are dealing with a young quarterback who – maybe isn't as adept or comfortable manipulating the count as much. I'd like to see if Brady does. You get him at home, you get him in Foxborough, Ingram starts honing in on voice inflection or honing in on sort of a snap count based off the, the, the shot clock or the play clock r- winding down. You never want that because I, I, there were clips yesterday, several, uh, where you know it's really hard to blame the offensive tackle for not getting Ingram blocked when 
he's like a stride into the rush before he's coming out of his stance because he's timed it perfect. So that's something that Bosa's pretty good at this as well, but I think Ingram even a little bit better. So I think that's going to be something that Brady's really going to have to keep an eye on in the practice practice week. Don't be surprised if in, in practice, or I wouldn't be surprised if in practice, Bel, Belichick is saying, hey, just jump the snap count to the practice squad guys or to the, to the look team guys and just say, I, I don't care if you're offsides. Go. Just go. Time it close. If you're half a count, fine. He'll be half a count. And it'll be a great opportunity to see if you can get steal a couple penalties to slow them down. Another thing that slows down uh, pass rush, obviously, is something the Patriots have started to do quite a bit in the last month. That goes back to my earlier point of getting under center. And that's just simply by virtue of having you under center, having the quarterback under center, having the back at home, having a fullback back there. You're not flying off the ball as if it's pass rush. You're playing run technique first as an outside linebacker. You're playing back into the tight end. You're playing back into the tackle. And then you have to convert it to a rush once the play action mesh point thing clears. So those are all little ways to slow down these crazy get-off guys so that you probably don't see that stuff like you saw uh, against Baltimore. But, again, it's something to certainly be mindful of. It's something I would imagine they'll be practicing hard on. And it'll be some smart football if the Patriots are able to steal a couple penalties and sort of use their their their, their scheme and makeup from formations to, to keep that stuff from happening. Uh, one thing to note, though, with, with Joey Bosa and Ingram, uh, two different body types. Ingram's the more true, I think a little closer to my personal size, somewhere in the 6'4 to 250-ish kind of range kind of dude. Uh, but Bosa's w- much bigger. He's 6'6", or whatever his height is, but he's you know is a 280-ish kind of guy. This is more of a true defensive end. But in saying that about both of those guys, both those dudes aren't just edge guys. They, they're all over the line. And Bosa had one of his uh, sacks of Brady, or at least big knockdowns of Brady, a year ago. Um, from an inside, you know, he comes, he starts as an end, and then he's and he angles down inside. They bring people off the edge, and uh, Ingram does that as well. Uh, where sometimes he's the edge guy, sometimes he's off the ball inside, and then you know, hitting the guard on the move. So you got to expect those two guys all off the all over the place, and they can they can ruin the game in a hurry. So it's it's important to sort of. Uh, uh, locate them, get them blocked up, and not be surprised if they're not in the same place each down. They won't be. And if you're watching at home, those are really the two guys to to ruin the game. So keeping an eye on Ingram, keeping an eye on Bosa, never letting one of those guys come unblocked, and uh, you know just firming up the pocket from the inside out with Brady. You're going to need to do it. I think they help themselves immeasurably by having that you know having Brady under center to uh, alleviate some of that screaming off the ball. But uh, moving on here, the punt returner is is really an interesting story. It's Desmond King. Desmond's a guy who you know I have some uh, I, I know well. Let's put it that way because he was a he's an Iowa guy uh, and he played for the Hawkeyes. Really good defensive back. Was a little bit underrated. Was taken a little later than I kind of anticipated he would be. Um, so Desmond King ends up going in the fifth round in 2017. And this guy was one of the def- best defensive backs in, in really all of college football, uh, maybe in test grade. I don't even know what it was, but for, for what reason he, he falls a bit and they really get a steal in King. He plays well on them for, uh, plays well for them on defense. Uh, he, they, they list him as a, as a cornerback. He's kind of like the third guy in, uh, they rotate quite a bit of defensive backs, obviously in that Ravens game, they played all of theirs. Uh, but he is a huge factor in this game from a special team standpoint. Had, he's had big plays in the, both the punt return and the kick return. Um, and and I, in saying that as a special teams guy, I need to make sure I go out of my way here to tell the whole story. As, as good as King is as a returner, as, as positive as his play was against the Ravens, man, the, the, the return group for the Chargers blocked really well. Um, you, the, the, I believe it was the kick return as much as anything. The kick return was really blocked up well. The double was great, had the guy turned, had a lot of guys sealed up. King's explosive, was able to run through it. He's got good vision. He's a hard guy to bring down kind of deal. Uh, he's not a track star. I mean, this isn't like a 4-2 or 3 guy or whatever, but he is uh, hes a dangerous returner. Let's put it that way. So knowing that the Patriots have sort of intermittently, occasional times this year, and it was more first half of the season, but they had problems with other people's kick returns. So how they handle that, whether or not it's me, Guskowski, just bombing it away and uh, trying for touchbacks, or if they have to corner kick them, uh, you know, can they keep that part of the game corralled? 
very important in the playoffs to not give away uh, chunks and swaths of, of field position. And uh, there'll be opportunities for the Chargers with King. So he's a he's a big factor. And Ryan Allen, obviously, as the punter for the Patriots, you know, just not given the long flat ball, not given an opportunity for this guy to bring it back uh, because he's he's really good in both parts. You don't often see that. So it's, it's a little unusual when the punt returner is also the kick returner. He seems to be able to do both. Um, now I'm bouncing back into the receiver group here a little bit. Keenan Allen, uh, you know, I, I mentioned that he's their top guy. You can't just say a top guy, uh, he catches all the balls, here are his stats. It's more what he's all about. And I think he's, he's kind of got this slickness, almost kind of like a slightly taller Marvin Harrison kind of thing to him. Uh, it's his route running ability. It's his just sort of a silky smooth kind of, you know, bounces in and out of cuts, slides in and out of his catches, and then his ball skills are really good. But he's 6'2", so he's bigger than, than Harrison was. But he's, you know, he's just, he's a really interesting pro, uh, athlete in the NFL. He, he's not generally put up there with, like, your Julio Jones, uh, you know, maybe your Mike Evans, or obviously Antonio Brown's an entirely different kind of player. He's just sort of on that next tier, and I think something that's hurt him is just, continual health you know being out there every every week and catching as many balls as he can um if you were were indeed healthy so he's in any given Sunday guy a dude that can go for like you know 10 catches and get 200 yards he has that kind of skill um so I think it's it's it, it's a really nice thing that Stephon Gilmore is playing at the level he is because that'll be a fun matchup to watch again if they end up on or near one another um in the offense, though, beyond just the receiver group, uh, one of the things that was that was a little bit surprising to me watching them against the Ravens is they you, you always kind of the, the the few games I did see this year of the Chargers, it, it is a bit of a crapshoot on where the ball is going to go, and that's a credit in part to to Rivers because he doesn't just fall in love with Keenan Allen. You'll see quarters where Keenan doesn't get a target. Uh, he's really a spread it around guy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Either of the Williams guys are going to get balls. Uh, the tight ends occasionally get worked in. He'll send the ball in the passing game to both Gordon and Eckler. Uh, and and really, there's going to be times where it might be a Mike Williams quarter, you know, a Mike Williams drive, where he'll be getting uh, shot plays in the seams. He'll get a deep bout cut. He'll get a low crosser. You know, there'll be Benjamin times where it's clear they're trying to work him in. But this is one of those offenses, a little bit like the Patriots, where you're going to look down and don't be surprised. Oh, six, seven, eight different guys caught balls today or whatever it was. So, yes, Allen's out in front of this. But this is definitely not an offense where, hey, you, you stopped Keenan Allen, you won. Um, it's not that at all, especially with Melvin Gordon back there. And, you know, he's one of the, the, the most uh, explosive offensive players, period, backer, uh, backer receiver in the league. So it's a mixed story. But you say all that, you mention all the names you know, and you look down and you expect it to be 32 points a game, and it's not. It's 26. So they're, uh, they're good, and there are things that you have to, to, to sort of take care of against them. But uh, this, again, is it, it may be an unfair comparison, but this is not the Chiefs or Rams. Let me pause here for a second to take a drink. Okay, now moving on. Uh, Eckler, I think we have to mention him. I think we, we have to mention Austin Eckler, the other back, uh, because his role uh, can be huge at times. And if you, you would know this from fantasy football if you're following it, but Melvin Gordon was down for a while with a knee here towards the end of the season. Eckler tends to get the carries uh, and more targets in the passing game when Gordon's not a part of it. In that game against the uh, the Ravens, he was uh, he was nicked on the knee, hit on the knee, and uh, left the game for a time. Uh, in game, they were talking about how he was wearing braces on both knees, not easy to run as a back. But I say all those things, and Gordon was back in the game later in the game and looked normal. So. This will be a practice week to kind of keep an eye on. If it's just a contusion, he gets hit on the knee and there's no ligaments or anything like that that are at issue, and he's just trying to protect it from contact, he'll have some swelling, he'll have some issues, he might even miss a few practices in the week, but if he's back to normal, he's back to normal. Uh, and I would suspect with the playoffs, they're both going to be out there. But to what extent? You know, And if he gets nicked again and he's out, got to talk and think a little bit more about Eckler. He's a check down over the ball guy. He's a guy that can catch angle routes that they'll use a little bit, kind of like a James White type thing. He's a draw guy, uh, largely in the in the the running game. And Rivers, he ends up in the gun a lot with Eckler alongside of him. Eckler will have to have to hold up in pass rush, uh, I'm sorry, in pass protection, uh, and that's probably an area where 
he's not as strong. And you see running backs, or you see him getting run over by line, linebackers, you know, a good amount. But he's more of a chip protector, I think, than anything. It's not having the protection, you know, rise and fall on Austin Eckler back there. But he's an important part, and I don't think he's – I think the Patriots have seen a lot of good, swift, out-of-the-backfield kind of guys. Corey Grant early in the year, Tariq Cohen with the – with the Bears, you know, they, I don't want to go through the whole list, but they've seen lots of agile, out of the back, more pass-catching guys throughout the season. Eckler sits in kind of the middle of them. This is certainly not the most dangerous of those crew, but he's a very competent guy. And and Gordon, as we mentioned, uh, you know, he's going to be involved more so. And if he's in there, Gordon can be just as dangerous as an out-of-the-backfield catching guy. More speed, though, with him. More straight line, getting his hands and roll than shiftiness and quickness, which is more Eckler's game. Now, one of the things I found, found kind of funny in this game is, is and I've been uh, sufficiently snarky about this, I guess, during the week, but uh, is watching Phillip Rivers fall away from throws. And it's just, it's he's got that crazy throwing motion he's always had. He's obviously still one of the best quarterbacks in the league just because he can manage it well. He, uh, he, can, he can make all the throws. Uh, people love that line. But, you know, he can sling it, uh, but he does have, uh, you know, some fundamental breakdowns from time to time. If you're, you want to play quarterback analyst, and I know I'm not really one, but, you know, you just do see sometimes when his base goes a little wacky. He's, he's always had that weird arm angle, but he lets a duck go, you know, every tenth ball or something. I'm making up the, the percentage or making up the rate, but he's not the most refined guy, even though he's older and he's, he's been incredibly proficient in his, his career. He's been a big-time player. But he has some ragged play that'll creep up, and one of the things that really shows up to me, and just is more recalling how Coach Belichick will frame it with a guy, and and even back to Romeo Cornell and Dean Pease and the guys at Mangini and all that that we dealt with, and how they would sort of look back at a guy who was a stud. It's not so much that hey they can make all the throws. It's like where do they prefer to make the throws? Where do they prefer to send the ball? And he's a really he's a tall guy. Sometimes on tape he looks a little bit to me like like Drew Bledsoe, like our, my old teammate. Like he's tall. He throws a dart, uh, but he you know he kind of steps into it almost like a javelin thrower when he's at his best. He really likes this sort of inside the hash ones. Throw the lasers inside. And uh, like I said, there's occasional some wobblers that come out of his hand funny, and you're going to be playing a weather. This could be some some pickable balls. But the reason I talk about sort of the coordinators and how they look at guys, I think if you look back at some of his big-time throws over the last several weeks, or at least the games that I've checked out, um, it's sending it back inside the numbers. It's, this, it's the step into it, javelin throw, hitting darts to Mike Williams up the seam, to Tyrell up the seam. Uh, to Keenan Allen on an in-cut, to you know, Benjamin running all over the damn place, but then him driving a ball into him on the inside. I think he's a quarterback you'd much rather press the ball outside the numbers to. He, his, pr- his preferred throw appears to me something he can sort of javelin inside and back to the middle of the field. I looked at it. I got no clue what they're talking about now because obviously I haven't been in that locker room for, for years. But, you know, he just looks like a quarterback on tape that's like, you know, you cannot let this guy – pocket you know drive through the front of the pocket and send stuff back in around the inside of the hashes that's just you're asking for failure there so a lot of inside out leverage would be nice to see from the defensive backs a lot of force at the outside it's not as if he can't complete an outside ball he can but in the weather in the conditions forcing that throw is is better defensive philosophy you just adhere to one thing uh looking here uh down the list of of Things that would be considered minor, but I think end up being very big, especially as they relate to the Patriots. The Chargers punt team had one blocked right up the middle yesterday. Now, we know that the Patriots in the Bears game early in the year, later in the game, um, and the Patriots had had two blocks in one game. Um, And a lot of this stuff, all of them, have been coming over center of the guards. And the Chargers had a problem with that last week. Now, those two groups are going to know it. You know, obviously the, the Chargers punt team, they're, they're, their guys are getting their ass chewed on this Monday morning. Uh, and the Patriots special teams groups are looking back and saying, damn it, that's, that's where we've won three times this year, if not more. Uh, we put pressure over guards and centers with our linebackers, our off-the-ball guys twisting. Uh, and that's where they've been hurt. So that's, that's sort of something where, hey, antenna's up. There's going to be some challenges over guard and center with punt protection for the Chargers. Can they handle it? The Patriots have been one of the best at that, and the Chargers had a problem with it a week ago. Boom, that, that makes it uh, something that both sides will be focusing on in practice and probably on their, in their schemes in the game. 
Uh, let's see. Moving on here. I still call Tony, uh, not Tony, Antonio Gates uh, crafty, right? I, I think he's definitely one of those older players that has the ability to get open. He doesn't have the ability to run by you. He doesn't have the ability to adjust and do sort of the crazy body angle stuff and catch balls away from him. But, man, he's still slick. It's kind of like Jason Witten at that, in that last couple of years of his career. He is skilled. He's still the same guy, still got soft hands, still can catch it. I don't know if, you know, he, he's to call him the focus of the offense would be crazy. He's also his targets are way, way down from his other sort of height of his career stuff. But he's not a guy you can fall asleep on. You know, if, if we, we wake up here Monday morning a week from now and the, the Chargers have won it, and Gates catches a touchdown. He has three or four, you know, catches in two minutes or something like that. You can't be surprised. He's a guy that you cannot sleep on. He requires all the attention of your best coverage players. Safeties are going to be on him or linebackers covering him tight. Uh, he's still a very good player. I mean, he's just he's a Hall of Fame type guy. And even at something that's less than his best, he's still someone who has to be minded. And that's a lot like Gronk. But uh, Gronk is still a notch above where, where Gates is now at this point in his career. But um, I just think it would be silly to just dismiss him because he's not putting up the fantasy numbers of old. I think it shows up enough on tape. He's still a very, very capable guy and deserves a ton of respect. Moving on. Last page of notes here. So the shots to Mike Williams, we mentioned those before. That's number 81. Running him straight up the seam and trying to fit it over the top. That's the ball uh, Rivers wants to throw. And it's one that Williams has had some, some success on this year, so be aware of those. Um, first play... Uh, at over 20 yards in that game, was actually on that shot to Mike Williams. I thought that was interesting that we're almost through the third quarter, and it was the first time that that, uh, that Rivers had thrown a relatively deep ball successfully in that game. And it was again, it's funny to me, and I'm I'm making a lot of sort of online snark stuff about this this week. But uh, I, Rivers is a is a dump off quarterback, you know, and that's that, that's not a knock. It's it's game management, you know. If teams are going to play him top down, which I would imagine the Patriots do a lot of too, they just don't want to get torched by this guy. He has to hit a lot of checkdowns. He has to little hit a lot of comeback routes. He has to hit a little a lot of short inside breaking stuff and know when to go to his backs. He does it a lot, and that's good quarterback. <laughs> it's really what what Tom Brady does and gets knocked for quite a bit. But you watch Rivers, and you know his mechanics are nowhere near Brady. His pocket movement is nowhere near Brady. I think that's actually one of the biggest. Uh, uh, contrast for me when you're watching it too it's like hey these are one of the top two quarterbacks in the league Brady's all-timer uh Rivers is a borderline maybe Hall of Famer kind of guy uh, he's older he's 37 Brady's much you know boy he's 41 so he's, he's several years older uh but what's going on here with this guy where's he still at 37 is still on the upper end uh for quarterbacks in the NFL and the, the thing that that jumps out to me with Rivers is pocket movement is, is atrocious it's he's a, a very sackable quarterback and we'll get into sort of personnel with the defensive line for the Patriots and who I think might up might be up or might not based upon that but he's the quarterback that everyone along the line can get down everyone along the line even the defensive tackles can run with this guy he took off a few times against the Ravens still shows that when it's get up and go time he he can he can leg some stuff out but just sort of the smoothness shifting in and out moving within the pocket Brady moves way better than Rivers it's not even close so uh that's that's kind of where he's at with that he's a guy that you can really go after I think um and one final sort of thought here on the offense, you know, the pocket control stuff, we'll get into more of that when we specifically talk Patriots, but the biggest, most important weapon uh, that if you told me, hey, Keenan Allen went off, I don't know who won. You know, I don't know that. If you tell me, hey, Melvin Gordon went off, Chargers probably won. They they probably won. If 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 Melvin Gordon is having some over 100-yard game, 150-yard game kind of thing, especially if his sort of net, uh, or excuse me, his gross stuff, where you get both sides. If you get the, the pass-catching stuff and the rushing yards, gets well over the 150 number. I know this is just bean counting, but the idea that he's heavily involved and heavily, you know, very successful and productive on the day, that's a really bad sign. So, uh, you know, he's the one guy racing to the edge, having a good edge, which has been sort of a come-and-go-good it's been good, it's been bad, it's been atrocious, it's been great, it's been all over the board as far as the edge defense for the Patriots this year. Good in the last two weeks, it needs to be good against Gordon. He's one of the biggest edge threatened backs that you could possibly face. You have to be tremendous there or you're in a trouble. Now, uh, back to that 2017 matchup, I want to hit on this one briefly. We'll, we'll rip through it, but... Uh, the, the, this makes for a nice little transition because there was that giant 87-yard run. Again, the, the, the Chargers only had uh, 13 points, I believe it was, on the day. 
Uh, and one of them was a single run that's virtually the length of the field. And that was when old Cassius, Cassius Marsh, Marsh was here um, and uh, not having fun. And who gives? Who has fun when they can't hold an edge? And uh, Melvin Gordon's run straight downhill at the outside, run to the outside. The, the, the Chargers run scheme was like an OT kind of thing where basically the tight end's blocking on, tackle's blocking down, and the guard's pulling around him. So the, the guard, the guy that's next to center, is going all the way to the outside to block the edge guy. And uh, Marsh got sealed on that particular one. And you you just have to know that you're going to get these down and around schemes, which, again, this, we're doing a podcast here. I don't expect folks to necessarily understand what I'm talking about, but just referring to this. If your eyes go to the edge of the Patriots' defense as you're watching it, watch for offensive linemen from the inside of the scheme coming to the, out and, uh, coming to the outside and how the outside linebackers or ends take them on. If you get sealed, which means you allow the, the, the offensive linemen to get outside you and hook you, Man, Gordon goes to the edge like a rocket, and that's the the play from a year ago that they got crushed on. If you you press that pulling guard or tackle back into the line, well, you got something, and you keep your outside arm free, and you've set the edge. That's super duper duper important in this game. Uh, no edge or soft edges or sort of amoebas, <laughs> amorphous edges where they're just kind of like all over the place and squishy and I have it outside, now I'm not outside, now I'm back outside again, that kind of stuff. That's trouble against Gordon. So it's going to be a huge, huge thing to keep an eye on in this game. I, I would suspect that they'll, they'll test it early to see where it's at. Um, White was big in this game. James White, swing pass on third and 10, uh, you know, big play. Check down stuff. The Burkhead over the ball was good for them. Gronk caught a touchdown on the goal line. One of those just, hey, it's super short, and he gets kind of caught in the traffic, blows out the other side. Uh, it's sort of a block release kind of thing, but he's out, and he's not found. I don't know if that's necessarily a big factor coming forward. They may, you know, account for him a little differently than years past. But, hey, Gronk had a week of work to, to chill. Uh, to get his body back and ready, and we know that he's banged up this year. But, you know, I, I just don't think we should be surprised with rest if he comes out and he's got a little more juice and he's moving a little bit better and he catches a few more balls. So uh, although that was a thing from a year ago where his role was a little different, I won't be surprised if Gronk catches four or five this week and makes some plays. He, you know, he's that kind of player, and with rest and health, shoot, he's he can get back to close. But I don't think that we're going to see him extended playing wide receiver necessarily. Um, Bosa inside pocket moves. Uh, that was, was something I saw in the Ravens game, but then something I obviously saw in a, a year ago. He's an end. Yes, he's a big end. He's a guy like J.J. Watt that can slide inside and really all up or around and down the line and be effective really wherever he goes. But you want that guy playing technique as if it may be run before he transitions into a pass. You don't want him ripping off on the snap of the ball knowing which of the two things it is. So that's very important with him. Um, Rivers driving the ball between the hashes. That was big in last year's game. It's something that showed up in the Ravens game yesterday, so it's it's a redundant point. It's uh, it's really something that is always going to be there for him. I think it's something that, that you have to account for, guard your man inside out kind of thing. Uh, Off-the-ball pressure from linebackers by the Patriots really got at the pocket with Rivers a year a year ago. And remember, we're talking about a game in which the Patriots, with their much maligned defense a year ago that I thought was misunderstood, I thought they were, actually had a pretty solid defense. They just had a couple stinkers that really blew their stats up, the Super Bowl being another one. Uh, but they held them to 13 points in this game. Uh, and that's including a full length of the field touchdown, 87-yarder. So in the absence of that, we're talking about a six-point game, uh, which is a pretty good day of work against those guys. And one of the things they really did a lot of was letting, allowing the off-the-ball linebackers to fly down and hit guards. And, and what that means is that, you know, Rivers isn't gone. You know it's a passing situation. And then rather than ally, allowing or relying on your defensive tackles and ends to make inside moves and push him off the spot, Spot being that area that the quarterback likes to step up into, needs to step up into, you know, a yard or two in front of where he sets in his in his pass drop. The Patriots spent a lot of time allowing the person to rush over the guard or center, be the off the ball guys, be the Mike linebacker, be one of the the will, whatever. But one of the off the ball linebackers crashing down into the center, make maybe making a pick, or either just you know getting an on the move hit and trying to knock the guard back into Rivers's lap. Um, you can't do that against everyone. You don't always want to do that against mobile guys because they'll see you crashing down and they'll bail. Rivers can't do that. So this is a guy who, you know, you always talk about get Brady off the spot. Rivers, even more so. I mean, Rivers can't move like Tom can, at least in the sort of the short space uh, pocket sliding stuff. 
So keep an eye out for uh, for Dante Hightower or and even Van Noy from their off the ball uh, setting up guards or crashing down into guards. Coming down like rifles on the snap of the ball as opposed to putting, say, Adam Butler or, or one of your inside rushing guys on, you know, on the guard. So you you got a better chance of getting the push when you let the off-the-ball guy kind of crash down into him. So keep an eye on that. It was, um, it was big in last year's game. Worked really well for the Patriots. So uh, one other thing here was that Deion Lewis had a big kick return. So I'm going to go back. I don't want to just presume that, that they're, you know, the kick coverage group for the Chargers would still be vulnerable because the Patriots had that a year ago. Got to go back and look harder at that. I don't know that answer as we're, as I'm sitting here recording the show. Sometimes, often, a lot of times there's some turnover on, on special teams units. So we might be talking about enough different guys to where that's not necessarily a thing. Independent of that, Corderell Patterson, healthy, out there returning kicks, Huge part of the game. Um, so even if it's not because there's a vulnerability, uh, stealing some yards there will be big. Let's hope his health is there and he's available for the Patriots. Uh, Travis Benjamin had that other, the other touchdown there in the game. Uh, it was uh, Malcolm Butler who whiffed on his jam. He whiffed on his jam, fell asleep a, little, asleep a little bit on his carry, and they fit one in over the top of him. So that was sort of a blown play. And that was, you know, really we were talking about two plays that accounted for the, the glut of the offense here for the Chargers against the Patriots defense. Uh, they did move the ball down there to sort of the high red or even, well, it's outside the high red, right on the fringe there in your 30-ish yard line. And Butler whiffed on the jam, carried with a lack of urgency, almost as if he thought he had safety help and didn't. And then Rivers fits it over the top. Travis Benjamin gets a big touchdown. But it's sort of a, a blown play there. And then the blown run, and that was kind of it. And by and large, the Chargers offense, different than the Patriots, other than sort of the answer of what's going on with tight end, they're pretty much the same group. They're pretty much the same group. So um, it's not as if they've got to prepare for something new or different. It's essentially going to be, I imagine, the same kind of practice week of work and game plan sort of keys that they'll, that they'll hone in on. Um, Gronk did catch some balls in that game, uh, off play action, Brady in the gun. So the play action is more of a, a draw player inside read kind of thing, uh, off that play action, hitting Gronk in the seam. Are they going to go back to that this year? I don't know. Again, it just kind of depends on how Gronk's moving in the practice week. And if he's feeling fresh and as closer to his old explosiveness, maybe they go back that way because it was something that hurt him a year ago. But if you don't feel like, you know, he's moving in that way and you want to use him as more of an inline blocker, it'll be interesting in my view to watch Gronk take on Joey Bosa. I think that's, you know, that's a really fun matchup. I had tweeted about this earlier uh, during the weekend or during wildcard weekend, kind of an anticipation of uh, some Gronk and Watt one-on-one stuff. But with the Texans losing, yeah, Chargers, Bosa's a comparable body type, maybe a little lighter than J.J. Watt, but he's a big body like that. And uh, Gronk is the rarity uh, in in the NFL tight end world of being a six six guy who's he's not he now he's thinner you know Gronk is more athletically built he's closer to like a two seventy guy than the two eighty two ninety but you know he could put it on in a minute if he needed to so watching those guys go against one another if Gronk lives more in the hip if he lives tighter to the tackle a little bit off the ball chip and release guy or allowing him to block one on one a guy like Bosa in the running game, or even combo blocking with the tight ends in the running game. That's what the Patriots have that most other offenses in the league don't have. And that's why Bosa can be such a pain in the ass, because he's going to dominate your average tight ends. He's going to dominate your fullbacks. He's going to dominate any backs or guys on the outside to try to account for him. And he'll just out-athletic. Uh, out athleticism, I don't know why I'm missing on that one, but uh, the tackles. So Bosa... You know, and even Ingram, if it ends up flipping to the other side, they'll have their hands full with with Gronk uh, as a blocker, and that's enough. You can really affect the game that way by neutralizing uh, some of their more active edge guys uh, who don't see that kind of player across from them that often, even if it's just an adjutant, even if it's just making you work really, really hard against a tight end where you typically just dominate the dude. I think Gronk versus either Bosa or Ingram will be a big factor in this game as blockers. Screw the pass part. Um, the other half of this is Dwayne Allen, and we don't know the answer to that. Again, as I do the show, he missed some time during the, the bye week practice stuff, and we'll keep an eye on him throughout the week. I think it's obviously important that he's up because one of the things we've been seeing is rep management with Gronk, and, and that just simply means not going wire to wire with this guy. You know, Gronk doesn't have to play 
70 snaps. You know, Gronk can play at a 65 to 70 percent clip and and have Allen out there, not just Allen on the field because it's too tight end time, but letting Allen be the only tight end in some of the 21 personnel stuff. 21 personnel is the two backs, one tight end, basic pro formation stuff that can come from it or slot. Uh, but Allen can take some reps where he's the only tight on the field, tight end on the field. Now we know he's not out there to get targeted, but when you bring them in together and block together with those guys, oh, that's great. When you put them opposite one another on the field, Allen and Gronk can have some symmetry, and you don't know which side the ball is going to go. Great. Uh, but he also works as a, a blocker that's close enough or comparable enough to what you get from Gronk that when he's out of the game, you're not losing anything. You can still do the same stuff. So his health and availability will be a big part of it. So now I wanted to finish this thing out with just kind of a quick wrap on where I think things sit with the Patriots and their sort of depth chart. Uh, I'm really interested to see, uh, we'll we'll stick sort of defensively first, who's up. And one of the things that's been sort of a story that's that's, certainly been a change over the last few weeks uh, has been the usage of Adrian Claiborne. He's been a healthy scratch a couple times. Uh, They've started to use Ofamba Kamalu, uh, number 97, big, tall, nearly 300-pound guy, 6'6", 6'7", whatever. He's really tall and long. And I think it's been his inclusion that has pushed Adrian out of the active duty. Now I say that, and remember, we were also getting more more uh, more work here from Derek Rivers. It's sort of been like a two for one, I think, uh, because you remember you're also activating Danny Shelton, which has been a huge thing for the Patriots' run defense. They have a true nose tackle in the game now. I think Danny up, Danny playing over the nose, all the scheme stuff they do, you know, with the running game with Melvin Gordon. Man, having Danny Shelton a part of this now versus not having a part of him, uh, having a, been a part of the things three or four weeks ago, whatever it was. I would feel so much differently than I do now about how the Patriots can potentially stop the running game. Um, with Danny, that changes things. You've got a true nose tackle. You can play th- you know, three, three, four type fronts, even if it's from sub. Uh, you've got a true nose. You're not going to get moved at the, at, over, over the center or guards with doubles, and that's big. But then uh, uh, Kamalu involved and Rivers involved may push Claiborne out. And I think that's unfortunate. If they can figure a way to get all those guys active, and I know it's not the easiest thing in the world with, with, with special teams guys needing to have full roles who are going to play a ton of reps. I, mean, I was one of those. You know, you, for a guy like me, I played, you know, it, it would be maybe somewhere between, it can be as little as five plays, it can be as many as 20 uh, defensively, and you just, you just never know. It's a rotational thing for guys like us. Uh, but then you know you're going to have 20 to 30 special teams play. So sometimes in a situation like that, whatever I just mentioned, I could have been as much as a 40-play game guy or as little as a 25, you know, if it's just more straight teams. Um, but that play volume works against a guy that might be like an Adrian Claiborne situation if Flowers is out there and doing his thing. Dietrich Wise has had the huge new role. It's harder to carry a guy that might only play 10 snaps to a guy like myself who would play 40. And that's usually what it comes down to. But now we're looking at Kamalu, who has some versatility because he's so he's he's tall but also heavy. He's uh, Dietrich Wise is more his role is bumped considerably, but he's a six six, uh, tall, long, true defensive end. He doesn't have the butt that <laughs> Kamalu's a closer to. He's a two ninety three hundred kind of guy with the, with the height. So. I would. The reason I even bring up this topic is because of the lack of mobility at quarterback. The only thing that I would say would be a knock on Claiborne throughout the year that I think sort of helped, you know, move him off at times of the active roster was losing leverage on mobile quarterbacks. Like if you have a mobile guy, he's a great pocket buster because Claiborne can go inside to one of the tackle spots or he can bounce outside and play in. He chases down the immobile guys pretty easily. He gets run away from with the more mobile dudes. But this is a week where I would love to see Claiborne, at least in a rotational spot, get 10 reps. He's a handful for for tackles, and he can make the inside moves. He can play inside as well. Uh, But, again, we're we're talking numbers issues here. If Derek Rivers is up as well as Kamalu, it may just not be possible to do that with Claiborne. But I just simply wanted to make the point because of the quarterback change here, I think he would work great if you're able to pull him up. Um, You know, there's things have been going on really well uh, with Danny Shelton, but Danny's role is in that sort of 15 to maybe 20 plays kind of thing. Maybe 30. It can be as much as that if they sit in more regular offense. Regular mean two backs and a tight end kind of thing and not just spread stuff. But Shelton's earned the role. I think you have to have Shelton active no matter what 
because if they come out and attempt the run and attempt to go big, you got to have your big available. So we'll kind of keep an eye on all of those, but I, I think sort of what has come out of the last few weeks is learning that they have the groups if they have the right people active. They have the right combinations. They have a group that can run stop. Dante Hightower back inside at Mike Linebacker, stacking behind uh, Danny Shelton, uh, putting sort of reconfiguring all the other guys to the spots where they play best. Their front seven or front eight, if they, they, they bring safeties down, is a good run-stopping group. It just they have problems when they stay in nickel fronts, in the sub fronts, and try to run stop from that. They're not built as well for that stuff. But I think they're set up pretty well now to have a, a grouping active that may have a minor role, but that can slide in and run stop if the Chargers try to go heavy. And I think that helps guys like Landon Roberts. He can have a more sometimes offensive role and really be effective. You know, you can, he doesn't have to play Mike linebacker, read both sides of center. He doesn't have to play in space on sub fronts. He can go into regular. He can be a hammerhead. Doesn't have to read both sides of center like a Mike would in a four, three defense where he's a true middle linebacker behind center sort of flowing both sides. He's half of it. And, and you know, he can stand alongside Dante Hightower. Hightower reads his side of center. Atlanta reads his flies down, makes plays in the running game. Shelton's in front of him, absorbing doubles. That's good for everyone. And all of a sudden everyone plays it at, at closer to their full potential. Potential. I love that. And Malcolm Brown. Malcolm Brown plays better when they don't make him play nose. When he can slide out outside of a guard, play a little tackle stuff, you get you get a better version of Malcolm, I think, in that world. Lawrence Guy is consistent, plays the high level, but in this world, he can now play more of like a, a five technique, like a regular defensive end kind of thing, or a tackle that's in a gap, but not playing nose. You know, you don't make Lawrence Guy play nose. That's great. Trey Flowers, one of their best players. Now he doesn't have to slide around the line so much. They're starting to sort of work into a situation where the roles have distinguished themselves. And over the last few weeks, I think the Patriots are playing pretty good defense. So they go into this thing uh, with an opportunity to put a good one out there to kick off the playoffs. Now, uh, the one thing we need to mention on the back end is Devin McCourty. Because of his head, we don't know where he's going to be with that. Hopefully he's active. Obviously that's a big deal because I think the strength of this defense overall is the depth and quality that they have on the back end. So having your leader available while also having him uh, you know, just the skill set that he brings as far as tackling, as far as matchup stuff, as far as center field stuff, if he's using, they're using him as a more true free safety, you want Deb back there. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, Cordero Patterson is a big story for me. Is he active or not? And that kind of changes or toggles how Philip Dorsett is used. Can Dorsett continue to keep a role uh, in, in that sort of four to six target range where you can absolutely reliably send balls his way? Edelman, Got to be the baller. Got to be the guy that can be the, the catch gobbler. Got to be Brady's go-to guy and got to have it situations around the sticks. Some stuff off play action with him, getting him involved. Chris Hogan in a complimentary role. Some of the stuff off play action, some of the stuff off drop back. You know, I don't see Chris getting eight balls, but, man, he's, he's a guy who steps up when called upon, and if they go to him, you know, you're going to need production there. And I think his blocking, his competitiveness, he's fire. He wants balls. There aren't as many to go around if Tom's living under center and they're playing a true balanced offense, but that'll be a big part of it as well. And it's Sonny Michelle day, you know. I, I think this world of sending Tom under center more and being more of a balanced offense is in part and available, and, and it really works for this group because of the offensive line they built, a real real continuity with that group, and the inclusion of Sony Michelle. Sony's here. He can be a true uh, behind center, uh, behind a fullback, eight yards deep, true carries, all the two-back runs, all the one-back runs, draw if you got to do it, but that is different this year than they've had in a while. Deion Lewis was a do-everything kind of guy, but Sony's just a little bit different kind of back. But knowing that the Chargers had the issues with the pass-catching part, the Burkhead and White a year ago, and then now having a little more strong, stable, you know, uh, fall back into it under center, two-back kind of offense with Devlin out there plowing things away, I think that's a boon for the Patriots, especially because you're going to get some three, four fronts from the Chargers, and you can't just concede that. You can't go spread against that. I, I, I would love to see the Patriots get into traditional mode because they don't have to concede that point now. I think they can go at them, need to go at them, to create some of those play-action opportunities down the field. I say all that, and I'm not expecting some 350-yard passing game from Brady. I could be wrong. He can clearly do it on any given day. But I, don't, I think this is working more towards the balance day, little run, little pass, work them around, keep them guessing, keep them moving, slow the rush, shorten the game. Uh, you know, a high 20s game out of the Patriots and a comfortable 
score or more kind of win, I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. Not a prediction, but I think this is a comfortable matchup. This is something they can handle. It's a very good opponent, but I, I like what where the pieces sit with, with the Patriots to be able to handle this particular challenge. Offensively, I know a lot of the concerns is who's going to catch all the passes. I think that's rather immaterial at this point. Gordon here, not Gordon here. It's still an offense that through running game and through passing opportunities off running play action can create more than enough offense. This offense's biggest issue is not who's going to catch all the balls. It's whether they convert in red zone situations. It's whether they convert situationally before and after half in the two minute. That's where your attention should be. That's where their focus needs to be. Not the concerns of who and how the box score is filled up. Win that way. Win the turnover battle. Do the things that you expect smart Patriot football to do. Uh, Play intelligently. Low low penalties. uh, Winning situationally. Having that plus number in the red zone. That's all big. And defensively, playing corresponding ball as well, and making a play or two in special teams because, you know, I love to see that. But that is all for this week's show. That's the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Thanks for checking in as always. Go Patriots. Enjoy this weekend. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.